You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to Out of Office. Our guest today is a legendary Jane Goodall. A leading primatologist and conservation activist, Goodall says much of what she's learned about leadership, she's learned from animals. 60 years ago, she ventured into the forest in Tanzania and made the groundbreaking discovery that wild chimps could make tools. That revelation challenged conventional belief that tool making was what made humans unique. She's now 86 years old and spends most of her days traveling the world, educating and inspiring young people. Due to coronavirus, though, she's under lockdown like most of us. She caught up with my colleague Yajo San recently, and they talked about leadership lessons from chimps, what we can learn from the pandemic. We disrespected nature, we have disrespected animals, and we have refused to listen to the scientists who predicted that this would happen. Her mother's influence on her. We don't judge people by the color of their skin or the mm. clothes they wear or their culture. Um, we're people, we're human beings. And the one thing that shocked her about chimps. It was a shock to find that they have a side that's as dark and brutal as ours, like primitive war. Here's their conversation. Jane, welcome to Out of Office. We're so honored to have you with us today. And I'm very, very honored that you invited me. Thank you. Um, so I know you're currently under lockdown in the UK. Um, how are you holding up? Well, you know, at first um, I was frustrated and angry because, as you know, I used to travel 300 days a year all over the world. And I was actually getting into the car with my suitcase when my sister ran out. Uh, and said, don't, don't, no, come, the <laughs> just cancelled. I was going to Belgium. Having been frustrated and angry, I thought, well, this isn't helpful. So I and my team have been working to make a virtual Jane, and I have yes. ever been more busy in my life. It's oh, yes. All the time. But how lucky I was caught at home. Where you see me now is where I grew up. And behind me are the books I read as a child outside in the garden. There are the trees that I climbed when I was a child. And I'm here with my sister and her family. Well, I'm, look, I'm, I'm a huge fan of you. And I'm really glad that this pandemic actually has allowed us to speak. So, um, yeah, well, that's an unexpected side effect of the pandemic. Another side effect of the pandemic is you're seeing wild animals kind of roaming the streets, exploring cities all over the world, um, in the UK, India, and China, everywhere. Um, 
And it, you know, humans are stuck inside. And it's almost like, you know, for the first time in a very long time, these animals are having some sort of freedom to themselves. Um, and as, you know, countries are slowly getting back to normal, starting to open back up, is there any way that we can find a balance between human and wildlife? Well, we can be more understanding, like, you know, if foxes appear in the streets, we don't have to start panicking and poisoning them. Uh, unfortunately, you say back to normal, it won't be normal. I, I don't know that we'll ever be back completely to normal. I think hundreds and thousands of people will be more understanding because we must have a new relationship with the natural world. And that brings me to my next question, which is obviously the pandemic is really making us examine the way we treat wildlife, um, we, we treat wild animals, um, we treat nature, how we treat nature. Um, what kind of lessons do you think we should learn from this disaster to prevent the next one? Well, you know, the interesting thing is that this pandemic is helping me in what I've been talking about for years and years and years, and that is Actually, we brought this on ourselves. We disrespected nature, we have disrespected animals, and we have refused to listen to the scientists who predicted that this would happen because there have been previous uh, pandemics. And, well, SARS, yeah. SARS and MERS from dromedary uh, camels, domestic ones in the Middle East, HIV AIDS from butchering and selling chimpanzee meat in central um, Central Africa, and we've had um, illnesses come from the intensive farming of animals. So we've completely disrespected animals and created conditions like in the wildlife meat markets of Asia. If I can go back to the very beginning of your career, um, you obviously had a very remarkable career. And um, when you were 26 year, years old, um, you had no formal degree at that time, but you were so determined to go to Africa. And you went to what is now known as Tanzania. Um, so you basically just went with a notebook and binoculars, and that was it. Yeah, well, actually, you have to go back a little bit further. Please, yes. yeah. To, to being born loving animals. Yes. Have an amazingly supportive mother. She's up here behind me as well. Yeah. She supported this love of animals. So I was 10 years old when, after reading Tarzan and Dr. Doolittle, mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to go to Africa, live with wild animals and write books about them. I mean, we weren't scientists in those days, women. Mm -hmm. And he laughed at me, except mum. And she said, if you really want something like this, you're going to have to work awfully hard, take advantage of every opportunity. But if you don't give up, you may find a way. So when I left school, I was good at everything. I didn't like it. I liked to be out in nature with my dog. But... Yeah. Uh, I had to get a job because we had so little money. Yeah. Couldn't afford university. Got a job as a secretary. Yes. Got a letter from a school friend inviting me to Kenya for a holiday. Her parents had bought a farm. And so there was the opportunity. Came home here so I could live without paying rent. Mm -hmm. uh, left my job in London. Worked as a waitress just around the corner over there. Saved up the money. Somebody said to me, if you're interested in animals, you should meet Louis Leakey, famous paleontologist. Yes. At that time, he was head of the uh, Natural History Museum in Nairobi. So I went to him. 
and he asked me lots and lots of questions. I think he was impressed. I read every book I could. Uh, and amazing, two days before I met him, his secretary had quit suddenly. He mm. needed So that boring old secretarial course, there I was now, surrounded by people who could answer all my questions about the animals, you know, the birds and the mammals and the snakes and the insects and the plants of Africa. Yes. Um, so I think Leakey realized while I was working for him there that I was really passionate. This is what I'd always wanted to do. Yes. So he gave me this amazing opportunity to go and live with and learn from not just any animal, but the one most like us, the chimpanzee. So you, you mentioned two two figures that are hugely important in your life. Your mother, who obviously encouraged you and emboldened you, and Dr. Louis Leakey, who um, was a mentor to you. Um, what have you learned from them? Well, mom taught me um, a lot of useful things. She taught me a lot about how we would relate with different religions. And my grandfather, I never met him, but his teaching came down that, you know, we don't judge people by the color of their skin or the mm. clothes they wear or their culture. Um, we're people, we're human beings. Yes. And mom taught me, okay, you were brought up in a Christian family, so you, uh, if you do worship, you worship a god, but you might have been born um, in Egypt, then you'd be a Muslim, and yeah. you worship Allah. Or you might have been born as a Buddhist or, a, you know, so she said, but there can only be one supreme being. So how that supreme being is worshipped and what that supreme being is called doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. but she was so wise. That's what I learned from her. From Louis Leakey, I learned that uh, however often I wrote to him and said, Louis, the chimps are still running away from me. I'm going to let you down. And he would write back his writing, getting bigger and bigger with each letter. I know you... <laughs> And do it, which made it worse because the chimps were just running away. So I guess what I learned from him was, you know, that I should believe in myself a bit more. <laughs> Absolutely. Can I just ask, you know, in Tanzania, you made this groundbreaking discovery that chimps could use and make tools. And that challenged conventional belief that tool making was what made humans so special, so unique. Um how was the discovery taken by the scientific world initially? Well, it was the breakthrough. It did bring in the National Geographic who offered to continue funding yep. the research. Um, a lot did of people challenge you because you had yeah. no formal degree? A lot of scientists. Not, they didn't challenge. I was out in Gombe in the field and, you know, there was no email in those days. Letters took two weeks or so uh, to... to write and get an answer back maybe three weeks. Mm -hmm. So it was Key who got the flack. And people said, well, why should we believe her? She's just a girl. She doesn't have a degree. She's only relatively newly come to Africa. Uh, for me, when I heard about it, you know, I, I had never wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be a naturalist and write books. I mm. wanted to um, I'd always watched animals. And... Uh, it was when Leakey made me go to Cambridge after I'd been with the chimpanzees two years. Mm -hmm. He said he wouldn't always be around to get money. I had to stand on my own two feet. And if I had a degree, 
it would be taken more seriously and it would be easier to get funding. He was right, of course. But yes. when I did that, can you imagine how I felt? A, I was nervous. I'd never been to college. And he said, there's no time for an undergraduate degree. He got me a place to do a PhD. So I was really nervous. And imagine how I felt when some of these professors, of whom I was greatly in awe, told me I'd done everything wrong. Chimpanzees, your subjects of study, they should be given numbers, not names. That's not yeah. science. You can't talk about them having personality, even though their personalities are as different from each other as ours. You can't talk about them having minds capable of problem solving, even though that's not true, blatantly. And finally, you can't talk about them having emotions like happiness, fear, despair. That's All those are unique to humans. But it was this guy, Rusty, my dog. He had taught me as a child that the professors were completely wrong, totally yeah. wrong. And again, it was mom who said, you know, if people don't agree with you, listen to what they say. Maybe they've got a point. But if you still think they're wrong and you're right, then have the courage of your conviction. Mm. So I wasn't, um, I wasn't, you know, squashed underfoot by these scientists. But I had an amazing supervisor, and he'd been my sternest critic. But he came to Gombe, and he wrote to me and said, in two weeks, I've learned more about animal behavior than the rest of my life put together. And he's mm -hmm. he helped me to, to write in such a way. He taught me how to think in a scientific way, that you examine your hypotheses. And it was great. I love thinking like that. I love that you went through the journey of being more confident, um, I guess being more comfortable saying no, being more confident saying yes, and just saying what's on your mind. That's really remarkable. Yeah, well, I think that's partly mom, partly leaky, of course, he always supported me, partly rusty. And also, you know, I grew up in World War II. Yeah. And so it was a childhood of, you know, everything was rationed and you took nothing for granted. And you never knew when somebody you knew was going to be dead in the morning. I mean, I was only a little girl, but I remember so vividly, it's uh, the end of the war in Europe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You transitioned your career into um, a conservation activist, um, and you spent a lot of time traveling the world, educating young people. What's one thing that you want you want to teach them? The uh, program that I began in 1991 began in Tanzania with 12 high school students who were really it was in shoes. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were upset about different things, poaching in the national parks, illegal dynamite fishing, um, street children with no homes, cruel treatment of stray dogs. So they all had different areas of concern. So I told them to get their friends together who also had concerns, and we had a meeting. And from that meeting, this program, Roots and Shoots, which is in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, it, well, it's now in um, it's now in eighty six countries around the world, oh. and growing all the time. And it has members from kindergarten through university and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And the message is: every single one of us makes an impact on the planet every single day, and we have a choice as to what sort of impact we'll make. And I wanted to ask you: you exemplify leadership, and you know, very often these days, people look at heads of states, politicians, and they get very disappointed. But you have you have impacted, you've influenced so many people around the world, myself included. What are the top qualities in a leader, in your opinion? Well, I think for one thing, everything I say, I mean, it's genuine. And, you know, I think the chimps taught me that a, a leader is a leader because the followers look up to and respect that leader. So we have some top-ranking males who are aggressive and mean, and they can dominate, but they're not leaders in that people follow them because of respect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I talk about things that I care about. And uh, with the Roots and Toots program, I think the reason it's been so successful is that there's no dictating to the young people what to do. They choose between them three projects to make the world better for people, for animals, for the environment. And they choose. So then they discuss what to do about it in their group. And then they roll up their sleeves and get out and take action. So it's taking action. It's mm-hmm. not demonstrating. It's actually planting trees, clearing streams, um, you know, whatever, whatever it is that gets to them. But they yeah. share the projects so that they begin to understand how everything is interrelated. Yes. You once said that just like humans, there are good chimp mothers and bad chimp mothers, and very often the offspring of supportive mothers almost always do better in life. And I think a lot of people might be really surprised to hear this, but you actually draw some of the lessons you've learned from chimps to raise your own children. So what are the parenting lessons exactly? Well, the thing is that, you know, the good mothers are those who are tolerant, um, protective, but not overprotective. Mm-hmm. And they're always there. They're supportive, just like my mother was. And that's the key. So it's the offspring of those mothers who, who will risk being beaten up by rushing in to try and protect their child from an attack by a female who may be higher ranking than the child's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she'll run in and protect the child when play gets too rough and uh, the other mother's child starts screaming. And those ones now we're 60 years into the study. Mm-hmm. So we can look back and we see that, yes, the offspring of supportive mothers uh, tend to, the males get a higher rank, which probably means they get more kids, and yep. the females better mothers. But one of the guys I have behind me here, Frodo, 
He's an example of a spoiled brat. He became I thought very... he almost killed you. Yes, he, well, he, he could have, but he didn't want to. I mean, if he'd wanted to kill me, I wouldn't be talking to you now because he's eight times stronger than me. But he oh. grew up with, a, with his mother was top ranking. And yes, she supported him, of course. But so did his, uh, so did his uh, two older brothers and, uh, and his sister Fifi. So he, he could do anything. I mean, he could tackle higher-ranking individuals, and he knew that the family would come and support him. Mm. So he became a spoiled brat. So we've, we've had several spoiled brats, but he was particularly bad. A lot of people have watched a video of um, a chim called Ulunda um, embracing you shortly before she was about to be released into the wild. And I have to say, that video got me choked up a little bit. Um, and I think many people feel the same way. Um, and I, I guess it just really goes to show how similar they are to us, that they have all the emotions that we have, like they're angry, happy, sad, anxious. Do you mind talking a little bit about that story? Well, it was one of the most amazing things that's ever happened to me. You know, in Africa, there are many, many orphan chimps. Their mothers mostly shot for the bushmeat trade. But sometimes the mothers are shot to steal the baby for uh, trafficking, sending it off as a pet or an entertainment to another country, particularly Asia, actually, yeah. and the Middle East. So this chimpanzee, Wunda, came to our sanctuary as an tiny infant, wounded by the bullet that killed her mother. A wonderful veterinarian who runs the sanctuary managed to save her life. Then when Wunda was about eight years old, she got some weird sickness and again she nearly died and again Rebecca saved her. I met her for the first time on the day this video was taken. I had never met her before, never. And wow. I was with her on the boat where we took her from our overcrowded center to the island, which is not totally yeah. free, not totally the wild, because we still have to feed them, it's not quite enough, although it's a big island. And um, that's the first interaction I'd had with Wunda. And one of her caregivers, who she knows well, pats her head. And then she's looking around like this, and she suddenly looks back at me, and comes and gives me this extraordinary embrace. And it, you know, afterwards, one of the caregivers said, how did she know that this lady is responsible for all this? Well, of course, she didn't know that. But it's an example of that communication that you can have at a, a level that's different from language. It's something that's happened to me with other animals too. That's a very beautiful story, and I encourage all of our listeners to watch that video. You've observed chimps for such a long time, and you know you know some of the families for generations. Does anything about them surprise you? They're all individuals with personalities, minds, feelings. They all suffer and feel pain. So uh, what surprises me about the Gombe study, well, it was a shock to find that the sometimes cannibalism of newborn babies. It was a shock to find that they have a side that's as dark and brutal as ours, like primitive war. That was a big, big shock. I thought they were like us, but nicer. Mm. And so 
turns out that, you know, we share the aggression, but we can be worse. So our aggression can be worse in that the chimps respond to a sudden feeling of anger or whatever. We can sit in cold blood and plan the torture of people far away, and that's evil. Yeah. But at the same time, chimps share qualities of compassion and love and altruism yes. with us. But just as we can be worse, we can be better because we can plan an altruistic act, even knowing it will harm us. You are continuing your advocacy at home um, during a pandemic. How would you like to be remembered? I think in two ways. One I've described, which is, you know, helping people think differently about animals. And that's going to help us when we think about the natural world. We've got to respect animals and their homes. We've got to respect the natural world because we're part of it. We depend on it, clean air and water. And, uh, you know, we, met, we, we will get through this pandemic. We've got through others like the Black Death and Spanish flu uh, and SARS and things like that. But climate change, yes. that's the existential threat to our future. And if we don't start respecting nature, then our, the future of humans on this planet is doomed for sure. Secondly, starting roots and shoots because... That has changed so many hundreds and thousands of lives, you know, and, and um, people come up to me and say, Jane, I want to thank you because you've taught me because you did it, I can do it too. Mm-hmm. And come up to me, um, so many people have come up to me in China because I've been going there every year and then every other year for a long time. Yes. And so, of course I care about the environment. I was in Roots and Shoots in primary school. Yes. Um, or I care about animals because I watch your your documentaries about chimps in Roots and Shoots in school. And they, the Roots and Shoots um, values, the philosophy of Roots and Shoots, has created a group of young people who understand that there's something more important than the color of our skin, our culture, and our religion, and that's our shared humanity. And that's so... Beautiful. Yes, to me, being remembered for starting a program that is in so many countries and growing all the time. Um, and helping us understand better our relationship with animals and the natural world or how it should be. Jane, Jane, that's absolutely beautiful. And I just want you to know you, you had a huge impact on my life. When I was a child growing up in Shanghai, I used to watch you on that geo. I always had a big love for animals when I was a child, but just watching you, um, the footage of you interacting with the chimps in Africa, it it, it influenced me so much. And um, to be able to speak to you here today, having 30 minutes with you, it's really a dream coming true. And um, I know a lot of our listeners will say the same thing. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Well, thank you as well. It's been lovely talking to you. That was the legendary Jane Goodall speaking to my colleague Yajo San. I hope you enjoyed this chat. I know that I certainly did. And remember, you can find more episodes of Out of Office on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. 
This episode was produced by Yajo San and Jordan Gaspare. I'm Malika Kapoor. I'll be back next week. Till then, stay safe, stay well, and thank you for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.